reading from the end of Romans chapter 11, the hymn of praise that Paul writes. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you that we as your church can gather to worship you in spirit and in truth. We praise you for the reality of the incarnation, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and take on human flesh, to live the perfect life, and to die in our place. Father, I pray that we would worship you now through the preaching of your word. Speak through Pastor Patrick. May your spirit be upon him. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Ryan. Church, you may be seated. Welcome. Well, this is a family service to say the least. I'm glad we're all packed in here, a bunch of kids. So if there's noise, I welcome it because I live with it. It is wonderful to me. So we're glad you're here today. Merry Christmas to you all. Now, just show of hands, who here has already opened presents today? Who, who's going to open them after? Nice. It's like split. Okay, we're the after families because we're teaching patience to our kids. I don't know what you're teaching yours. No, anyways. All right. Just a little dig. I just thought I'd humble us or some of you before we get started today. All right. Well, Merry Christmas. I, I want to start off today by reading my favorite event in the Christmas story. I'm not saying it's the most significant, uh, but it's my favorite to envision. And it's the story of the angel appearing to the shepherds in the fields. And so if you would uh, pay attention as I read Luke chapter 2, verses 18 through 15. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them and into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had made known to us. Man, I would love for that to happen in this exact moment. Seeing the, the mysteries of the unseen realm, the veil pulled back, and us seeing the angels and the heavenly host proclaiming glory to God in the highest. I look forward to that day. Brothers and sisters, those of you who believe, that will be our future, which is why I long for it now. And could you imagine me and a shepherd? You used to stinky sheep. And you see the glory of God radiate because sheep aren't glorious. You were amazed. You're floored. So yes, it would be awesome to see that exact scene. I've certainly asked the Lord, can I get a glimpse of that? Just one angel would be sufficient. But have you asked the same? Lord, can you reveal what is unseen that you could then declare your glory to the world? God, can you show this when I'm at work? Can you reveal this when I'm together with family members who don't know you? Or even at school? Can you reveal yourself in great glory to those who don't know you? 
certainly don't believe in you. God's response to us, that's why I've sent you. You will reveal my glory, for you are my glory. So we pick up this week where Pastor Ryan left off last week in Romans. You might think Romans doesn't sound like a Christmas message. Well, by the providence of God, Romans chapter 10 will be. Here we go. Paul concluded this last section, or he's concluding this section of personal responsibility and affirming the message and the call to believe. Paul's focusing our attention that we believe with our hearts and we profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that will guide us into salvation. And so in Romans chapter 10, what we're in today, he gives us a salvation strategy, what he chooses to do and use to bring about a remnant. So how will he choose to rescue people imprisoned to sin and dead to sin? Well, he sends us, his people. We think he ought to send a multitude of angels. And he decides to send image bearers into the world to save the lost. So will you pray with me before we jump into Romans? Our Lord and our God, we ask for the ability um, to preach and proclaim your word this morning. We ask for the ability of those in here of younger ages that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear what your truth is, that even through this message that we think is just for adults, that their hearts may believe the simple truth that your son came to die on a cross and to save us and rescue us from our sin. Lord, be with us in this message. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 10, verses, starting in verse 14, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. And if I start hearing some noise over here from my children, I know that that is a wrap it up message. All right, so we're going to be flexible this morning, okay? The first point we want to convey to you this morning is faith comes from accepting the preached word about Jesus. Faith comes from accepting the preached word about Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter uh, chapter 10, verse 14, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's concluding, if there was any confusion how a person comes to believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior, he's going to clear it up. Belief depends on hearing the message. Hearing depends on the preaching of the message. And the preaching depends on someone being sent. But I ask you, is that fact or is that just a theory? Consider how you came to faith, those of you who believe. Was there a message that you heard, or did you whimsically just say, I think I believe in a person named Jesus? And did that message not come through somebody? Was there a preacher, a herald, someone who proclaimed the good news? I believe the answer is yes to both. But how do I know this? Because the same um, strategy is used throughout the book of Scripture, especially the book of Acts. There's a story in the book of Acts where an angel appears to a Roman centurion who's a God-fearer. Him and his family are following God to the best of their ability. And the angel appears to Cornelius and says, I want you to send one of your servants to a city called Joppa, and I want you to find a man named Peter. Welcome into your house and listen to what he has to say. If we're looking through an an amazing story how someone comes to faith and believes in Jesus, the angel could have done it. The angel could have shared the message and, and, sh- and shown him the wonders and the glories of the gospel. But he says, I want Peter to do it. So Cornelius 
sends his messenger, finds Peter. Peter's kind of amazed by this. In fact, Peter has to be convinced to go, to go share this message with a Gentile, but he goes. And Cornelius welcomes Peter into his family, and this is the message that Peter proclaims. Read along with me in Acts chapter 10, verses 37 through 43. This is Peter saying, you, Cornelius, know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they, the Jews, killed him by hanging him on the tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive the forgiveness from sins. This is a powerful message coming through a person we think is not much power. So what do Cornelius and his family do? Well, they're filled with the Holy Spirit because they believe the message. See, God's salvation strategy relies on people preaching the good news. And you might say in this moment, well, I'm not a preacher. I haven't been to seminary. I don't have a degree with the ability to divide the word of truth and know how to link passages and counter-references. Well, you're kind of right. The preacher here in Romans can be translated as a herald, one who proclaims. The immediate context indicates that pastors, evangelists, prophets, and teachers are these heralds, but not exclusively. The herald of the good news must first be commissioned by God. That is the requirement. They must be sent. That commissioning that is described here is the same commissioning. It's precisely what Jesus did before his ascension into heaven when he looked at his disciples and said, Go. It's our commissioning. We have been sent. So although there's a direct reference to pastors, preachers, and evangelists, invite your unsaved neighbors to church. Let them hear the gospel through the formal preaching of the word on a Sunday. But it should also be on Monday through Saturday through your own proclamation. We are the heralds of the good news, and we have been commissioned. But if you doubt your ability to preach and to be a herald of the good news, I want you to remember one thing. The message makes the messenger. The message makes the messenger. See, Paul wants to frame our perspective on God's decision to send us through the lens of excitement. He wants to be excited that we have been chosen to be heralds of the good news, which is why he quotes Isaiah 57. So at the end of verse 15, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, let me clear something up. Messengers' feet are not beautiful, certainly not in this day. Now, some of you may like feet. I don't know. But ultimately, the messengers here do not have nice-looking feet. They're caked in mud. They may be blisters. They're certainly calluses, and they definitely smell. So he's not saying they have beautiful feet just on the outside. Their beauty is solely in the timely arrival of the good news. See, Isaiah's context is a delight of the exiled nation of Israel. They are in Babylon, and they're hearing the good news, that the people see him like a runner descending on a hill, And they know he has news of victory, of the restoration of their city. Let's read the the actual passage he's quoting in Isaiah 52, verse 7. The prophet writes, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, 
who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This deliverance that is being referenced here is the deliverance from Babylonian exile under Cyrus. But it's also like the deliverance from Egyptian servitude in the days of Moses. These two were foreshadowing of a greater deliverance accomplished by Christ delivering us for our enslavement to sin, delivering people from death to life. We should recognize that within this passage that Isaiah is talking about, this isn't just someone who carries good news because I got to do it. This is someone who loves the news that they carry. They're passionate about it. They don't just believe it, they love it. And so we too, as worshipers of God, do we love this message when we deliver it? Are we passionate about it? Are we thankful for it? Brothers and sisters, I promise you joy will fill your hearts when you convey the love of Christ to those that don't know it. The love of Christ also compels me to implore you, deliver the message. It's a beautiful, wonderful message, but it's also a powerful one. And if you believe this message, what is it doing to you? It's transforming you into a herald. It's transforming you into one who can preach and proclaim the good news. And so faith comes from accepting the preached word. But if the word is not preached, faith will not expand. And so as much as we would think angels would be a better salvation strategy, God says, you are the image and my reflection of glory in this world. You can do a greater job than angels can. Yes, it's hard to fathom, but it is true. But what should we expect? Responses to this message will vary, but our joy will not. Point number two, not all obey the preaching of the gospel. Read with me in verse 16. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. See, the message of the gospel requires a response. Everyone gives a response, whether they know it or not. So many messengers have been sent, Isaiah being one of them, to people who ultimately will reject the message. So we ask the question, was there something wrong with the message? Did the preachers stumble over their words? Did the heralds miss a point? Did they not see and react relationally? Ultimately, no. The message reveals ultimately what is true in a person's heart. The message will reveal the marvelous light of God, but we know what Scripture has said, but people love the darkness more than the light. And so the disbelief is ultimately disobedience to the call to believe. So is, if faith is obedience, we ask a question, does that make faith a work? Is faith an activity that you and I have agency over? Well, Paul introduced this relationship between faith and obedience back in chapter 1, verse 5, stressing the need for all people to obey the gospel by believing it. Let's read what Paul says in verses 5 and 6. Through him, this is Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the Gentiles, including you who were also called by Jesus Christ. So he makes this reference, obedience of faith. Well, Pastor Jeff defined this a couple months ago as faith is trusting reception. It involves mental agreement. I, I believe it. I perceive it. I, I know it to be true with the message and a response to receive justification with empty hands. Offering nothing, no virtue, no works, no intent as payment or fee, which that we have freely received by grace. 
And that grace is transforming us into obedient children. See, faith, if it is genuine, is always, always has obedience as its outcome. But obedience, if it's pleasing to God, is always accompanied by faith. These two are held in tension in the Christian life. Faith supersedes. Thankfully, though, as messengers and heralds, our satisfaction is not tied to a person's response. Rather, our joy comes from telling the message. If the message is wonderful, if the message is beautiful, if the message is powerful, do we know it? So what is the message? Well, earlier, a couple minutes ago, we read Paul's message to Cornelius. He conveyed the gospel to them. Let's define, let's just confine for a moment ourselves to the book of Romans. What's the message from the book of Romans? Can we identify it? We certainly can. And you know what? We don't need to add any embellishments to it to make it sweeter or to convince it, make it more convincing. No, instead, we're just going to read the simple truth this morning. That is sufficient enough for someone to believe. The message makes the messenger. So this is the message that transforms us and can transform someone else. So I'm not going to add any commentary to any of these verses. Brothers and sisters, we're merely going to read them. And so we start in Romans 3.23. And by the way, I wrote these and realized this is the Romans road. Those of you who know, okay, I know that. I know that. It was after the fact, I'm like, I'm not the first to do this. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, the end of verse 8 and verse 9. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 28 through 29. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the message. Now, I doubted and debated whether just reading Scripture to you would be good. Because in my own thoughts, I thought, well, anybody can do that. And then I realized, that's the point. That's the point. I don't have, we want to be creative want to think of nuanced ways to state it, want to smooth it out and take the rough edges off. No. Brothers and sisters, as heralds of the good news, we deliver the message as it was given to us. We don't have to be original. It is simple. 
It's able to be understood. But ultimately, what do the scriptures tell us about this message? It's foolish to those who are dying. As heralds, we can't add or take away from the power of this message. Truly, only God can illuminate a person's heart to want to believe. We don't have the agency to produce faith in another person. And that's by God's own design. We deliver the message as it was given. No more, no less. So our resolve is to ultimately be like Paul when he relates this message. When he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Do we have the same resolve to proclaim this message this morning? It's his birth that we celebrate, but it is his death in which makes his birth significant. This message that Paul proclaims to those who have heard it this today, in this moment of reading these, you have to make a choice and decision to obey its call or to disobey. See, this message came first to the Jews, rightly. They are the people of God, chosen by him to originally be the heralds to the world of God and his goodness, to reveal his glory to a world that has been captivated and enslaved to sin. But the apostle John, in John chapter 1, conveys that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And so we ask a question, is there, are they culpable for their rejection? Paul ultimately answers, yes. Israel heard and understood but continue to reject the message. Let's read this last part of Romans 10, verses 18 through 21. Paul anticipates an argument. But I ask, Paul says, did they not hear? Well, yes, they did hear. Because in Psalm 19, Paul quotes, their voice has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. There is the prophet's the testimony of what Jesus was coming to do and to proclaim and what to expect. They heard it, but they put those prophets to death. He anticipates a second objection. What if they, did, they heard it but didn't understand it? Well, Paul asks, did they not understand? For Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah said boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. They certainly heard it, and they understood it. And so why does Paul quote Moses and Isaiah? Well, these two prophets predicted the coming Messiah would, would come to them, but ultimately they would reject it, and then what would happen in return? God would seek out those who weren't seeking him. As the hound of heaven, he would go after those who did not know him or have any idea of him, and that would cause them to be jealous so ultimately, Israel's rejection is not for a lack of understanding, but for true unwillingness, unwilling to receive Christ as both Lord and Messiah. To them, Jesus becomes a stumbling block, a source of constant affliction in their soul, God's pricking of them that they stand before him condemned, unrighteous, unable to meet the law's requirements of righteousness. And so God defines that as disobedience and defiance. In verse 21, God said, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. This is the state of God towards his rebellious people. My hands are open. 
Romans chapter 9 looks at, it, it looks at salvation from a divine perspective, that God has elected and called people to be his own. Romans chapter 10 looks at it from the human responsibility and perspective to say you must profess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Do not reject and disobey this message. The answer, if we were to ask Christ, what is it? It is both. Both are our responsibility to affirm and to believe. And so God holds open his arms to disobedient, defiant people. But to those who weren't a people, those who are not searching, Christ becomes a foundation, a cornerstone, a source of freedom through forgiveness in which we can build a whole life surrounded by his fruit of his spirit transforming us with great joy. And so these simple questions that Paul kind of gives as a defense, did they not hear? Did they not understand? Is God still waiting? These three questions were a defense, but they're also directed towards you and I to ask ourselves. Have you not heard the message? Have you not heard the message of the gospel that the high king of heaven took on human form to live a perfect life, to die an atoning death for sin, and rose to offer salvation for all those who believe in him and his message in faith? That is the message of the gospel. Do you believe it? You have heard. Have you not understood the gospel? That, that you and I, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, incapable of reconciling ourselves to God through any work or effort of our own, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, for from him and through him and to him are all things, and that includes you. And so is God still waiting? Is God still waiting with open hands? Only you can answer that last question. God has provided a way through heralds to reveal to you the glory of God through the message of his son. That in the highest heaven, God knows your name. And that in the heavens, he has sent his son to establish peace on earth through his finished work on the cross. Do you believe that to be true? There's no better way, to no better thing to do today than to receive the gift of salvation and eternal life on the day in which we celebrate our Savior's birth. This is an amazing opportunity that we get to also relish in taking communion together as a church family. The good news has gone out. But to those of you who sit in this room who believe, you are the good news going out. You are the image and the glory of God to carry this news into the realms and areas of the world where it has not been. And that may just be next door. And so as the band comes back up, we're going to take communion together as a celebration of Christ's finished work on the cross. Do so in a reflection also of it being Christmas morning that he came to do this intentionally. And so, brothers and sisters, we now come to the holy table of the Lord as Jesus instructed us long ago. Do this often in remembrance of me. And so coming to this table, we must remember things about, true about Christ and all that he has done on our behalf. That he was sent into the world according to the promises made in the Old Testament. That he draped himself in humanity, becoming flesh and blood like us. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf, becoming flesh, excuse me, freeing us from everlasting death. He lived in perfect obedience to the divine law and is now imparting righteousness to us and promising everlasting life. He took the curse of sin upon us, on himself, so that we would inherit God's blessing apart from the demands of the law. And he confirmed the new and eternal covenant with gracious reconciliation by the shedding of his blood on the cross. And so though this is a simple invitation to eat bread and drink cup, or drink 
um, the wine that represents his blood. We want to protect this table. For those of you who don't believe, we encourage you not to take it. For you would be heaping condemnation and judgment on your, health, on your head for doing so. That's what the scriptures testify and proclaim. This is not my message. But for those of you who do take it, make sure to sell your hearts. If there is any disconnect between you or someone else and there is um, sin that has been established and un, um, unrepentant of, first, before you take it, repent. That you may take it in good conscience in a manner worthy that Christ has uh, encouraged us. So ultimately, it's a symbol of our unity as the family of God. And we hold on to the communion elements, just want to let you know, until everyone, everyone has received them. If you do need a gluten-free option, please raise your hand and there'll be someone to come by to hand it to you. Thank you.